Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that wears a poppy all year round because it's important to let people know just how much you love heroin. Mm Mm-mm, it's so Moorish. This is episode 164, I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and I think it's important, given the circumstances, that we start with a moment of silence to remember all those that have fallen. No, I'm not getting all Remembrance Day on you. I'm talking about the 317 Brexit Party candidates that just last week were lined up to change politics for good, but now have been stood down as it turns out keeping politics the same for the worst is far more fitting of their party. Yes, Brexit Party leader and rice pudding skin atop Tude Duplo, Nigel Farage, has decided that the best way to represent 17.4 million voters, take on the elites and refuse to back the Conservatives' Brexit deal as it's not Brexit, is by not representing voters and standing by and helping the elites win so that they can push through their deal that he doesn't like. Farage said that by removing his party's candidates from standing in areas the Conservatives won in 2017, he was giving Prime Minister and burlap punchbag Boris Johnson half a chance. So I take that to mean a char? So, while it's not quite the threesome envisaged by US President and high-vis embolism Donald Trump, Nigel's very much accepted a political teabagging. What could be more fitting for a Brexit party than to promise so much and then barely deliver? As the saying goes, campaign for real politicians, real pain for anyone who's attempted to follow the general election lead-up so far. It's been a week of fuck-ups and faux pas which have often made me wonder if anyone actually wants to win this thing at all, or if the real winners of the election will be those that dropped out along the way. Before the Conservatives even kicked off their campaign last week, Napoleon Weinerscheidt, Jacob Rees-Mogg, said live on the radio that the real tragedy of the Grenfell fire was that the victims lacked the common sense to ignore the fire brigade's instructions to stay in the building, claiming that he would have survived had he been there. Firstly, that's a really horrific thing to say, but I'm not remotely surprised Rees-Mogg said it, as he's a man who probably thinks the Gashley Crumb Tinies is a guidebook for parenting. Secondly, no, he wouldn't have survived. He'd have stood completely still and waited for his nanny to collect him and carry him out. He was, of course, forced to issue an apology, though it's not really sorry if you haven't said it like you mean it instead of just saying it like you mean. 
Grime hero Stormzy said that Mog was an actual piece of shit for his comments, but I'd say that's wrong, as I'm pretty sure people would line up to purposefully step on Reese Mog. But despite his realisation that he was wrong, if that's at all what it was, Mog was still defended later that day by the man who tried to find Jessica Hyde in Utopia, Andrew Bridgeton, who defended his colleague by saying that he would have survived as he's very clever and we want very clever people running the country, don't we? A comment that's led me to be 100% certain that Andrew Bridgeton has no idea that he's champion moron, Andrew Bridgeton. The same day, the Conservatives posted a doctored video of Shadow Brexit Secretary and Minecraft creation Keir Starmer on Good Morning Britain, seemingly struggling to answer a question about the Brexit deal Labour might get, and not just because he was trying to hold in all the natural retching that happens if you catch even a glimpse of the pulsating boobus that is Piers Morgan's face. But actually, in real life, Starmer answered immediately and the Conservatives had changed the video so that it was misleading. But when it came to defending the post, party chairman and what if you squished Roland from Grange Hill into a traffic cone, James Cleverly, said that it was a humorous video that they'd made before in a different interview saying that it was clipped short for time purposes, all the while refusing to use the word doctored probably because he prefers the term private healthcare practitioner. It's a wonder the party didn't edit down his list of excuses so it sounded at least vaguely plausible. Cleverly then didn't turn up for his interview with Sky News, meaning presenter Kay Burley empty chaired him. But on the plus side, this meant the interview was less full of shit than if Cleverly had been there, even though in his absence she spoke to a stool. He's so ridiculous that I reckon if you investigated it, James Cleverly is definitely an invention by a seven-year-old boy, as he's MP for Braintree. And that just sounds implausible, doesn't it? James Cleverly from Braintree, and yet he's an idiot. I bet a small bit of research would show that his full address is from Not Stupid Land, Planet Clever. Following this, Welsh Secretary and the only person to have survived his head being shrunk, Alan Cairns, resigned from his government post over claims that he knew about his former aide's role in sabotaging a rape trial, while another Conservative candidate and Lego figure with water retention, Nick Conrad, had to quit after making horrific comments about rape victims. All of which is hugely grim, but I guess none of it should seem remotely surprising from a party that spent the last nine years ruining people's lives regardless of consent and then blaming them for it. But perhaps the party are just following in the leader's clunky plod steps, as Johnson started his campaign with a front-page piece on Tree Hell, The Telegraph, comparing Labour leader and Velcro gnome Jeremy Corbyn, his stance against billionaires, to Stalin persecuting the Kulaks. And that's a great analogy, as the Kulaks are just like the billionaires of today, as they owned their peasant farms and were executed for refusing to hand over grain, which is basically the same as, say, factory-damaged sex toy Jeff Bezos having to pay some money towards the upkeep of society, an amount that you won't even know is missing once it's gone. And it's basically, it's the same, isn't it? It's the same thing, isn't it? Similarly, Stalin is just like Corbyn in the way that old Joseph definitely spent 30 years as a constituency MP before being deemed unelectable by everyone and repeatedly criticised for being a pacifist. It's basically exactly the same. Johnson's official election launch started with a speech by Cleverly standing in front of a slogan that said, Unleash Britain's Potential, even though earlier that day he'd been upstaged by furniture. And then Boris's speech was the same old dross where he insisted that the Conservatives didn't want an election, which must be why he tried for one four times and called the opposition cowards for opposing it. Later that week, a video emerged of the Prime Minister at a party insisting there'll be no customs checks between Northern Ireland and Great Britain under his Brexit deal, even though there will be, because that's what it says in the withdrawal agreement that he arranged with the EU, proving that even Johnson hasn't got a clue what he's negotiated, though I guess that could be why he actually supports it. Then, during the Remembrance Day ceremony, the Prime Minister managed to place the wreath upside down, which many criticised, but I think it was just Johnson accurately portraying Tory policy that largely forgets to support veterans. 
Then he visited a flooded area of Matlock in Derbyshire and tried to mop up flood water for a photo op, but had no clue how to do it and made it much worse because there isn't a single thing that he can do that isn't a metaphor for his time as Prime Minister. They'd have had much more progress turning Boris upside down. In between all of this, there has been a little bit of Conservative manifesto policy too, including plans to encourage more NHS staff from abroad, as well as up the number of migrant workers that do seasonal jobs in the UK. In the same way, I'm trying to attract more birds to feed in our garden after years of shouting fuck off to every single one that flies nearby, telling everyone I know that birds are evil, detaining anything I see with wings unless it gets the correct paperwork, or I send it back to where I think it's come from, and doing lots of dog whistling to cats. Of course, none of that's true. I don't have a garden because the Conservatives have done nothing to fix the housing crisis. It was revealed last week that they built zero of the 200,000 houses that they pledged in 2015, which is so bad it's actually almost impressive. Though considering they also hired a ferry company that has no ferries, maybe we've just misunderstood conservatism all along. Perhaps it's actually a surrealist ideology and that would explain why they've insisted that poverty isn't poverty and that zero hours are a unit of time. The other main charge of the Tory election campaign so far is insisting that Labour's policy plans will cost £1.2 trillion, but they haven't actually costed their own promises yet. When no-deal planning has cost over £4 billion so far, the HS2 cost keeps rising, and among many other things, the Prime Minister himself spent £53 million on a bridge that didn't even get built. It really feels like the Tories shouldn't be throwing stones in glass houses, even though those glass houses probably haven't actually been built in the first place and were intended as luxury flats with no social areas. It's not been all gravy for the opposition either, as headlines about all the Conservatives' mishaps were knocked off the front page to report that Deputy Party leader and what if little Ralphie from A Christmas Story had had a hard life, Tom Watson, had announced that he was stepping down as an MP in order to become a Level 2 gym instructor. Yes, really. Based on his career so far, I'm assuming that'll be in teaching spin classes. Watson did say he wouldn't be leaving politics altogether and aimed to support Labour in the election, you know, in the way that you might help someone tidy up by putting all the things in the wrong places and breaking several plates as you go. Following Watson, former Labour MP and pound shop Pete Waterman, Ian Austin, told voters they should vote Tory as he thinks Corbyn is unfit to run the country on account of the anti-Semitism accusations. Ah yes, it seems Ian Austin only left Labour over its racism because it wasn't the right type and he's much more comfortable with the anti-immigrant Islamophobic stuff in the Conservatives as it fits what he's been saying for years. Oh, but if you don't vote Tory, then Ian might lose his job as Prime Ministerial Trade Envoy to Israel and while you don't really need yet another reason, and knowing that could definitely help you incentivise to put a cross in any other box. The Labour Party have blocked former MP for Derby North and the Kurgan from Highlander, Chris Williamson, from running as a Labour candidate on December the 12th after accusations of anti-Semitism. Accusations that he denied in his letter announcing that he'd stand as an independent before accusing Labour of capitulating to the Jewish Labour movement. Great work there, Chris. That's like announcing you definitely didn't rob someone's stuff in an email that they can see was sent from their iPhone. Former MP for Leicester East and Asian Millhouse's dad, Keith Vaz, is standing down after his Commons expulsion as he, as official terms state, expressed willingness to buy cocaine. His biggest issue is that he pretended to be a washing machine repairman to do it, whereas if he just said he was a Conservative MP, Vaz would have got away with it. Labour's full manifesto will be out next week, but while they intend to keep many of their proposals from their 2017 manifesto and the policies voted on at conference, they say that others will be watered down. Hopefully not their pledge to renationalise water companies, otherwise that'll just add even more cost to the other bits. 
Lib Dem leader, and yes, she's definitely the one that told on you for smoking behind the bike sheds, Joe Swinson, said Corbyn isn't fit for office as he wouldn't be able to authorise nuclear strikes. I'm not certain it's a plus for a country to have a leader that revels in destroying millions of lives at the touch of a button, but then again it is 2019, and perhaps a Prime Minister that's willing to just say, fuck this, let's nuke ourselves and get it over with, is actually what we need. It's an odd thing for someone to say that's just allied with the Greens as part of a Remain alliance, as they're not usually that gung-ho about weapons of mass destruction, but I guess what could be more Remain than making sure absolutely no one ever leaves the UK ever again? One of the Lib Dems' main policies this week has been a £10,000 skills wallet grant for every adult in England to be able to get education or retrain in a new job or sector if they want, which is a good scheme, albeit more limited than Labour's free retraining, but perhaps more financially doable. However, I could mainly see a problem with the name Skills Wallet, which no doubt topped a long list of choices such as Knack Bag, Deft Purse and Talent Pouch. I'm really looking forward to Lib Dem candidates having to answer questions without laughing on how they'd get their skills wallet filled. And of course, the Brexit party are now partly backing the Tories, which could leave voters on either side dismayed, as they won't be backing down from Labour seats, which the Conservatives need to win. Instead, candidates like multi-millionaire and man who looks like a walking fraud case, Richard Tice, will be running in Hartlepool, because what that area, one of England's poorest, is absolutely crying out for in representation is an elitist Surrey boy who lives nowhere nearby to make sure they get what they need. And will this Brexit party and Tory alliance stop what Farage reckons is most important, a hung parliament? Well, yes, I guess it could, as if it's got both of what remains of his party and the Conservatives in it, it'll definitely be less of a hung one and more of a chode one. Farage was apparently offered a peerage 48 hours before his decision to get the party standing down from Conservative seats, but he said he'd turn it down because the last thing he wants is a job with any sort of responsibility involved. Lastly, the UK is at its slowest growth in a decade, which some economists are calling a slow puncture economy. Makes sense, when the last three years of Brexit policies have left everyone feeling pretty deflated, tired and flat, and there's every chance this election will be what causes the country to go spare. Hey, Parbar Broads, happy not quite mid-November to you. What's going on? I hope you haven't been flooded. Um, I spent the weekend in the West Country with some pretty flooded roads here and there, and the footage of parts of the Midlands under a lot of water looked pretty bleak, so I hope you are all okay. Um, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but I'm always reminded of hearing an interview um, with a Dutch politician who was talking about how the Netherlands were flooded really badly in 1952, and then they've never been again since. Um, no, I'm not sure those are the right years or facts. Uh, no, I'm not going look it up you do it um but what i remember is that the interviewer asked him how did you prevent flooding from then on and he replied oh well we just spent money on it yeah pretty sensible that's it that's all you have to do actually care but then i guess if the government here did that you wouldn't get photo ops where everyone dons wellies and gilets stares at water like they don't understand what to do with it and then the prime minister attempts to mop some of it up with all the dexterity of a beanbag trying to hump a railing but yes um if you are affected by flooding i very much hope you've got assistance and you probably aren't listening to this as I can't imagine it'd be that useful to have electronic devices near all that water god I'm so useless uh, doing any kind of comfort chat aren't I with ill thought through words of concern on a format that anyone who needs them is very unlikely to check out while in an emergency situation um, I can't imagine anyone currently trying to dry out their precious belongings is thinking the only thing that would make this better is a man with no clue what this is like to offer very vaguely conciliatory tones um, 
That's why I'm certain it's harder to be an MP than we all think, and yet somehow, so many politicians right now make it seem even harder than that. I mean, I know if I went to somewhere that, say, had a sinkhole or something, I'd probably be prone um, at saying something awful like, this is the pits, without meaning to, and then I'd feel awful about it for the rest of my life. But I wouldn't say, for example, I hope you fill that hole full of poor Luxembourgians and then bomb it, because, well, I wouldn't want anyone to do that, but also because even if I did, it would be really easy not to say it. I don't want that promise. Um, if you are in Luxembourg, you're totally safe around me and sinkholes well you're not because sinkholes are dangerous anyway um, what I mean to say is thanks for listening as always um, this is only a brief admin bit this week as the show has taken far too long to write today uh, fun fun writer's block so you know the usual uh, please donate to Kofi and Patreon do all that all the links in the blurb please review do all that as well review but review nicely don't be a dick please tell someone you know about this stupid weekly thing and maybe just tweet or Facebook something about it unless you're an MP as chances are you'll write something awful around it without being able to stop yourself and then you'll have to resign quick correction from last week as i plugged a book called a wild and precious life which is currently being funded on unbound and i said that cat day who types up all the linear liner notes for this show had written a story in it um she hasn't i got all confused but you should still fund the book if you can as it sounds great and i've popped the link into the pod blurb once again and that's it that's all the admin that's all the admin for this week ta-da admin done so instead on this week's show i interview political journalist john ellidge although we spoke last wednesday and so much has changed since then but also nothing really has changed but still it's a very fun listen. Plus, a little bit more election flex, because what's the point in having an election jingle that bad if I don't use it? Exactly. Are you enjoying the election so far? I mean, that's a strange question to ask, isn't it? When the last few years of political happenings has led to the level of disappointment of anyone even marginally left of centre to be so gnarled with concern that things will just get even worse, that there was even a celebration that Labour didn't win in 2017, but because it wasn't as bad as a not win as we'd assumed. That's ridiculous. This time round, could things change or will the whole country look at the lying, bungling, mutant ear of corn that is the Prime Minister and think, you know what, at least if he's in number 10, he won't suddenly turn up at our house, so we may as well vote for him. Who knows? And that uncertainty doesn't usually equal excitement in the same way that, say, not knowing which cameo a character will appear in a superhero film might, or what the next Star Wars film will be called and how it might upset the alt-right, or even in the way that knowing at least one Chris manufacturer will release a Christmas favour that will induce vomiting, but hey, it'll be great to tweet about. This election doesn't generate that sort of excitement, because this one could mean the end of nine years of a really terrible government, or another five of a really, really hard life. So how, oh how, can we be positive about it? Well, this week I spoke to John Ellidge. John is a political journalist for The New Statesman and he regularly manages to both convey important and necessary views on current politics, but also be very funny about it too. Uh, John was actually on this podcast many, many moons ago, way back in the early episodes, um, and he's just started a daily election rundown newsletter and recently wrote an article about why he was looking forward to the election. So I thought I'd ask him to come back to the show and ask him all about it. But as you can probably guess, uh, you can't really have a full chat about looking forward to something that is ultimately terrifying. So we discussed that for a teeny bit and then we discussed all things election and what might or might not happen. We spoke last Wednesday and as is the nature of there being a breaking news story every two minutes, lots has happened since. But hopefully you'll still find enough in here that's relevant and you might even enjoy it. Here's John. 
one of the reasons I want to speak to you today is that uh, you uh, wrote a lovely article about looking forward to the election, which I think you're the only person uh, uh, that said anything like that. And as much as I've enjoyed James Cleverly this morning, um, we're speaking uh, on a morning where James Cleverly has had three different excuses as to why uh, the Conservatives doctored a video. I did enjoy that. Um, I can't say that there's much that I'm really looking forward to. So what? why should we be happy about this? I mean, I just, I just really love an election. I just think elections are really fun. There's just like, you know, the rolling news and the, and the gaffes and the memes and the jokes and, and the staying up late to watch the results and get, and get drunk, even if you're working while you're doing it. You know, it's, I just, I, I really love the whole ritual of it. I just think it's like, you know, the, the watching, you know, history in the making sort of stuff. But also, obviously, there's a part of me, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a small, uh, hopeful part of me that I'm trying not to look at too much, which thinks maybe this is our opportunity to get rid of this lot. Maybe like, you know, this government is nearly 10 years old. That's a long time. Maybe they're going to lose. Maybe Boris Johnson, having spent his entire life trying to work out how to get to become prime minister, is going has called an early election and is going to screw it up and be kicked out of Downing Street, thus becoming the shortest lived prime minister who didn't die in office. And wouldn't that be amazing? I know that's probably not where we're going, but you know, just the possibility that that's that that's what's going to happen is enough to get me out of bed in the morning with a spring in my step. It's just brilliant. I mean, do you think that there is? I mean, is, is it wrong to feel optimistic? Because I mean, Johnson's been pretty rubbish so far at everything he's done. He's been deemed unlawful. He's lost all his, you know, he's not managed to push through any nearly any motions in the Commons. Um, and and we're speaking, as I said, a few days before this comes out. But you know, we've had Jacob Rees-Mogg say awful things about the the Grenfell victims. It seems to be calamity after calamity. That must mean that there's a little bit of hope there. Maybe. Or do, do, are we the only people that care about this? Um, I mean, I don't think optimism is ever wrong. It can be like, I, I mean, my, my colleague Stephen Bush um, has, has is fond of noting that, you know, in the run up to the Brexit referendum, he was running around like Cassandra saying, you know, Remain is going to lose, Remain is going to lose. And it was an utterly miserable experience to turn out to be right on that. Whereas in the run up to the last presidential election in the US, he was saying, oh, obviously Donald Trump can't win. Uh, and he was wrong about that. And and Stephen has said that actually, if those two experiences, he enjoyed the presidential election far more because the the, the, the horror of being wrong on the night is, is kind of not as all encompassing as the sort of long, dull horror of like worrying about something for months on end. So from a sort of mental health perspective, there probably is something to be said for, for optimism if you're on the left. I don't. I think the odds are probably still that the Tories are returned in some form. I don't, I, 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 I don't necessarily think that means it's going to be like a sort of massive victory for them. But I think probably the clever money has to be on Boris Johnson continuing to be prime minister after the election. But there is there is that chance, and if, if anything, if, if the last election taught us anything, it's that you know Tories that call elections early to kind of shore up their own personal position do sometimes get screwed over by it so you know hubris might be about to run into nemesis and that that would be very funny it would it would be incredibly funny i I still think if boris loses his seat in uxbridge it would be the funniest thing that's ever happened probably in the history of ever um i'm I'm keeping all things yeah (laughs) just amazing um do you feel like um i mean one of the things that makes me feel slightly different about this election is already on on the on the news today as i mentioned it's been uh james cleverly trying to defend a a video that was doctored of keir starmer but it, it seems that two years ago that wouldn't have been on the news or they wouldn't have been calling out 
you know, uh, online campaigns that had been edited in a certain way. Do you feel that that's different this time round? I, I, I sort of feel like maybe people are on top of that a bit more. I think it's, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it in all honesty. I think there is sort of a herd instinct in the media. You know, something is a story because it's the same sort of shape as an earlier story a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that, um, I, I, I'm being very careful with my words here because I think both of these are very real and genuine and horrible problems, and I don't want to underplay either of them. But I think one of the reasons that Labour anti-Semitism, uh, which is a real thing, gets more play than Tory Islamophobia, which is also a real thing, is because there's sort of already this sort of echo chamber for the Labour anti-Semitism stuff. Like the stuff comes out and it's like, look, it's this again. Isn't that awful? Whereas the Tory Islamophobia stuff, which is as real, I think, although maybe not as, maybe that's more the party membership rather than the leadership, you could argue. Um, it, that's That doesn't get that kind of play because there isn't, it doesn't feel like it's kind of fitting into that existing groove, if you see what I mean. So I think it is possible that because we've spent a lot of the last couple of years talking about fake news and what, you know, deep fake videos and so on are going to do to the, the impossibility of, of accurate news coverage, it is possible that that means that the reporters and editors are now on the lookout for it. So something like, you know, a dodgy video doctored by the Tory party um, fits into that existing narrative and becomes easy to talk about. The other thing is, I think there has been a gradual uh, erosion of kind of standards and, and conventions and behavioural norms over the last few years, going back going back many years now, really. But I do not feel like that is something that the earlier iterations of the Conservative Party would necessarily have thought was an okay thing to do. Like, it's okay to kind of kick Labour on policy or whatever, but it's probably not okay to actually just lie about stuff in that way. Um, so so I don't know if we would have seen that in previous elections, but I'm not entirely sure why. I think there's a couple of possible answers there. And do you think... Um... Because I'm I'm aware that that you're on you're on Twitter a lot. I thoroughly enjoy following you. I'm on Twitter far too much. Um, you know, are these sort of things that we're just aware of because we're on social media all of the time. Do you think Do you think the general public is aware that kind of standards have been eroded in the way that that politicians act? Oh, probably not. I mean, there is definitely there there are kind of multiple bubbles on that. I think like. If you are someone who spends a lot of time on Twitter, even if you're not actively uh, involved in politics, whether um, you know, being a participant in it or writing about it, if you're in that kind of Twitter bubble, you will have a very different idea of, of what is cutting through, I think. Um, there's I can't remember who originally said this, forgive me, but like there is a line I've heard many times that like, at just the point when all the journalists are getting sick of hearing a particular joke or line or policy, that is the moment it is finally starting to cut through with the general public. So, so like uh, during the 2016 London mayoral campaign, where like Sadiq Khan um, mentioning that his dad used to drive a bus became a running joke. Like he'd say it so often, um, he started making jokes about how often he said it. You know, that was kind of how he sort of presented it. Was like, oh, I'm going on about my dad driving a bus again. But the reason he was doing that is because to get that message through to the general public, you really have to keep hammering at home over a long period of time because people people generally don't think about politics at the time. Most normal people have better things to do um, and just don't care. So it's only sort of in the, in the last few weeks before an election that anyone starts paying attention, which I think is one of the reasons, by the way, that the 2017 uh, campaign was was such a uh, such a surprise because up until that point, um, 
most people, most of the electorate had yet to make up their mind about either Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so there was room for campaigning to actually kind of affect things, I think. Whether that will be the same this time round, now Jeremy Corbyn has been Labour leader for more than four years and Boris Johnson has been, well, he's only been Prime Minister for a couple of months, but he's been a national figure for a lot longer than that. Whether there's still that same room for movement, I don't know. Is, is this going to be a Brexit election? Because, uh, I mean, you're sort of speaking about people not necessarily uh, being so aware of things until a couple of weeks before the election or not caring so much. I, mean, I, I did a gig on Friday in Cambridge and everyone there almost just groaned when I mentioned politics. It was very miserable about the whole thing. Um, do, do you think that... Cambridge? The- like you'd imagine Cambridge would be one of the, one of the places that would be all right with that sort of thing. No, they were all, they all made a noise that said, we're all bored of this. Please talk about something else. And I had to completely change my material. <laughs> so a room of about 200 people. None of them seemed happy. Um, so, uh, which, which I found a, a very interesting indicator. Obviously, that's a specific group of people that will be going to a comedy gig. It's maybe not uh, representative of, of everyone. But, you know, is Brexit still going to be the driver of this? Because people seem so bored of it. Um you know, and, and already we see Labour are really pushing policies that aren't Brexit. Do you think it's still going to be a major factor? Um, God knows. I mean, I'm very wary of making predictions because I'm bloody rubbish at them. Whenever I sort of feel confident something's going to happen, the exact opposite happens every time. <laughs> I'm, honestly, like, I, I'm trying to get out of the habit of doing it in copy because I know I'm always wrong. It's really embarrassing. I'm just like catastrophically wrong every time. But then um, that's good. We can use, if we know that, we can use your predictions to guess the exact opposite will happen. Yeah, but I start trying to do that, don't I? I start saying, oh, God, this terrible thing is going to happen to try and prevent it. You know, it doesn't. And, and, and then, like, you know, if I'm not being sincere, what, what does that mean? Anyway, um, obviously, the government wants it to be a Brexit election, and the Labour Party really doesn't. Um, this was also true in 2017. And on that occasion, uh, the Labour Party got their way. Like Theresa May went to the polls saying, you know, we're, we're trying to deliver Brexit, but the Labour Party are blocking it, give us a bigger majority. And that had a couple of problems, one of which was the Labour Party was not blocking Brexit. That was a lie. That was a thing the government was lying about. Um, and the other problem was that, you know, it turned out that when that most people weren't interested in that and were rather more worried about social care or the state of the public services or the NHS or all that other stuff that politics is meant to be about. So that backfired on Theresa May. This time, it's a little bit different because firstly, you know, the, the, there is a much stronger case that Parliament has been blocking Brexit. I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a very crude way of putting it. But um, it is it is true that the government has got a deal and could not get it through Parliament in the way it wanted to. Um, it was a bit shifty the way like it, it like, took its ball home because it couldn't get it on the timetable it wanted to even though it had kind of like people had agreed in principle but nonetheless there is more of an element of truth to the idea that you know the existing parliament is a block to brexit um also we're much closer to the actual to the actual deadline here like in the 2017 election article 50 had only just been triggered we had nearly two years to sort this mess out whereas now we've got till uh, the end of january as it stands although god knows given the number of times we've extended now. You know, I forgot an entire Brexit extension. I was writing <laughs> I, I was writing something about the last Brexit extension and I realised I'd totally forgotten the first one, which was only a couple of weeks. I just like, you know, this year has been full of stuff like that. You just totally forget. Um anyway, it is I think it is possible it's that Brexit this is the Brexit election. I also think it's possible that it isn't. Um 
but I think the more the more the election is about Brexit, the more I suspect that favours the Tory party because the, the, generally the pro-Leave voters are slightly more reunited among the, in the Tory electorate than the pro-Remain voters are in, in, in Labour or any other party. And it, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, much of the last week has been given over to Labour and the Lib Dems tearing chunks out of each other um, on the internet. It, about whether or not tactical voting is a good idea. Um, so that obviously bodes incredibly well for the Remain alliance to block Brexit. Um, so I suspect that the more the election is about Brexit, the better it is for the Tories. Right. And, and if it is about Brexit, does that mean tactical voting is a smart thing to do? I mean, depending on whether you're Leave or Remain, is it is it wise to tactically vote to get the Leave or Remain representative in your area, or is it just a load of nonsense? Um Maybe. I don't necessarily think that's just about Brexit. Like, tactical voting can also just be like, let's get these bastards out. Like, um, there was a lot of tactical voting in, in 1997, I think, um, where, you know, people were just so sick of the Tories that in some seats where Labour um, couldn't win, people did vote Lib Dem and the other way around. Um, I think if 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 Labour and Liberal Democrat voters were amenable to that, we would have more of a chance of, of getting the Tories out of government. It does not feel, based on the last week, that, that the politicians or activists of either party are particularly wild about sharing votes in that way. Whether the electorate um, will, will feel any differently is, is, is another question. But as it stands, the problem is like the Labour and Lib Dem activists fucking hate each other to be blunt i mean like the yeah. <laughs> i mean i think the only the only people that labor activists hate more than lib dems are other labor activists but it's you know it just <laughs> generally speaking just the left absolutely love tearing and then the center te- love tearing chunks off each other um so it's it's not obvious to me that oh a very kind colleague has just brought me a coffee thank you jasper it oh, is that's not, nice yeah it is not obvious to me that 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 the the forces of liberalism or the left or remain or however you however you want to pitch it are going to get this shit together to actually say to people in given constituencies to be honest what you need to do is vote for the other guys um just to get the tories out and then we'll deal with this later the the one sort of sign that maybe stuff like that could happen is actually coming from from a bit of the united kingdom when we're not paying enough attention to uh as ever which is northern ireland where um where the sort of the the um, uh, nationalists and uh, Romani parties have been standing aside for each other a little bit, like like uh, Sinn Fein and the SDLP have both, I think, stood down in a couple of constituencies to give the other a clear run in the hope of like getting the D, uh, the DUP out, because that has been a sort of weird thing about the last the last couple of years is like the DUP hold most Northern Irish seats at Westminster, thus giving the impression that that everyone in Northern Ireland is incredibly Levy and still living about 1954 and just generally a bit unpleasant um and obviously that's that's not representative of, of everyone in northern ireland that's that's you know a chunk of the nationalist community that's like quite a hard right party um so it is possible that those kind of alliances will, will um, lead to a sort of more representative idea of of what what northern ireland looks like at westminster um so it is it is it is possible but it does not feel to me at this moment in time that the that labor and lib dems and greens and so on are going to start being nice to each other in the hope of beating the tories even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we'll be back with John in a minute, but first... Manifestos should start coming out next week, as are any costings if parties do them. By that, I mean Labour have said that they will do them. The Conservatives will probably just spend all their time telling you why Labour's aren't costed properly, while announcing policies that they've basically copied from them and made shit, because their campaign is like extreme negging and I don't know why the Tories don't just marry Labour if they actually love them so much. But yes, otherwise, right now, until next week, we're all in the dark about anything other than the ways the parties like to insult each other. Which, I mean, hey, is useful, because uh, we can sort of get that nailed. We've got the Conservatives going all out with poor historical comparisons, badly edited videos, hypocritical criticism, and reminders that Labour may work with the SNP, completely ignoring that a lot of us have watched Borgen, and if you throw another party in there too, it just all feels very progressive and Danish. Then Labour are doing the whole you can't trust the Tories thing, which I mean, considering there's already been a part U-turn on the fracking ban they announced last week, and well, every other time they've said something and completely not done it, it's kind of a fair claim. In one online statement recently, though, Corbyn referred to the current Conservatives as Thatcherism on steroids, and now I have a really horrific image of Maggie deadlifting and single-handedly destroying mines with one punch, and it really makes me shudder and I'm going to have nightmares. Thanks for that, Jeremy. The SNP are on a similar tone, but with an independence lilt. Uh, The Lib Dems are insisting the Labour and Tory Brexit plans are the same, which is tricky, as Labour want a second referendum and the Conservatives want Boris's hard Brexit deal. But then today Swinson tweeted that the Brexit buy and the Conservatives are the same, so maybe she just has her own special diagram, where her party, the Greens implied Kimri, are all chill on Remain, and everyone else is listed under the heading Bastards or something. So, aside from fighting talk, I thought I'd very quickly run through one area that we all know for certain. And yes, you're probably very aware of it too, but it's the party's Brexit policies. No, wait, come back, guys. Hello, guys. Look, I promise this will be super quick, especially as this election might not even be a Brexit one, even though lots of people seem to want it to be. But hey, there are five weeks left. Who knows what could happen? So, the Conservatives want to leave with Johnson's New Deal that's now been scrutinised a bit more and is terrible in terms of workers' rights and being able to forego all of our trading standards so that the US can sell us paprika with 11 rodent hairs in. Yes, that's some of the US food standards. 
US food producers can leave up to 30 insect fragments in 100 grams of peanut butter, 11 rodent hairs in 25 grams of paprika, and 3 milligrams of mouse or rat poop in each pound of ginger. And while that might not sound that tasty to you, for me, it's also really ruined the Pixar film Ratatouille. Johnson's aim would be to get a majority this election and then win a vote to leave on January the 31st with his deal. And then by Pancake Day, we'll all be topping our well-flipped creations with sprinklings of weasel jizz and bee eyes. The Conservatives are now saying their transition period won't go beyond December 2020, as was originally planned from the original leave date that didn't happen. Ovs. That's just 11 months, though, to negotiate a brand new free trade agreement with the EU, something that usually happens over 48 months at the minimum, all the way to up to nine years. And then there's all that border check stuff to sort out, which may take longer than just under a year as well. So, chances are, either we crash out after all this effort, we still end up crashing out, technically with a no deal on January the 1st, 2021, reverting back to WTO rules, which very few people want, or they negotiate a very bare-bones deal, sorting out trades goods very quickly, and then uh, not much else, but the rest will take longer to sort out, or Johnson has to extend the transition period, which is allowed under the deal that Theresa May agreed, and then a whole load of ditches will once again be really disappointed on New Year's Day 2021. Labour's policy is to renegotiate Boris Johnson's deal and then put that deal against Remain in a referendum for the people to decide on what happens. The plan would be to do all that in six months because it's either like they haven't been paying attention to the last three years of nothing happening or they're aware that they might actually be able to turn up to the EU meeting with notes or without having blamed them for everything ten minutes before or, you know, just being able to construct a sentence properly. The Conservatives have said that there's no way Labour could get a new deal negotiated that quickly, but Johnson boasted about how he got a new deal sorted within a few days, so based on that, almost anyone else on the planet should be able to manage one within a few minutes. If they manage a new deal, and there's a referendum, and the public still vote to leave under the new deal, then Labour would probably need to extend the transition period, as they'd only have five months left to negotiate a new FTA otherwise but it's likely their new deal would mean the UK was still part of the customs union, a bit like Norway has now, and we would retain a close single market relationship, which probably means being in the single market like Norway is now, as you can't really just be in it a bit or call it a self-partnered market just for kicks and hope that no one minds. Some Labour MPs would campaign for the Remain referendum option, some wouldn't. Corbyn won't say, but if you're a Brexiteer, you think he'll back Remain. If you're a Remainer, you think that he's going to back leaving, but chances are he'd just draw a courgette on his ballot and spoil it, managing to annoy everyone. The SNP want to scrap Brexit and remain, probably via another referendum, though really they want Scottish independence via yet another referendum because they are cray-cray for ref-refs. And then for Scotland to be in the EU, which would probably mean, as a new country, they'd have to have the euro, and to be honest though, that would be much easier than trying to spend a Scottish £10 note anywhere south of the border. The Lib Dems want to cancel Brexit, but based on current cancel culture, that might mean that some people carry on Brexiting because they think it's cool and alternative and fuck you, grown-ups. I'm not even sure that that joke makes sense. I'm really old. If the Lib Dems don't get all of the seats in the world, or failing that, make every other MP become a Lib Dem as part of Joe's global domination plans, then they'll back another referendum and Ov's campaign for Remain. The DUP, do you remember them? They don't like Johnson's deal, so while they want to leave, they also want a veto on his deal and an ability to reject it. But if Johnson gets a majority, he won't need them anyway, so they probably won't get a say, and then once again, Northern Ireland has its future dictated to it by the British upper class, and I'm sure that'll all end really, really well, just like the last time. 
Greens are all about another referendum, but that's because it's basically renewable politics, isn't it? Played are the same, even though Wales voted to leave, which sort of goes against their new campaign slogan of Wales, it's us. I mean, apparently when it comes to Brexit, it isn't. And the Brexit party, who are now part backing the Conservative Party, I just don't know what they want. It really, really isn't clear. (laughs) While that is a silly, not very good joke, uh, they were campaigning for a no deal and saying that Johnson's deal was not a proper Brexit, but that was last week before Nigel was offered a peerage. Oh, and the independent group for change. (laughs) No, there's really no point, is there? So that's where things are right now. Uh, Lib Dems played and Greens have buddied up with their Just Us and No One Else League. Will Labour and the SNP join in? Brexit and Tories have started their economic suicide squad. Will the DUP lurch around ten paces behind them while scowling at children? We'll have to wait and see. And with five weeks left to go, there's every chance that by the time it comes to voting, everything will have changed. Everyone will be voting on completely different issues. But either way, by Feb the 1st next year, there'll be a lot of Get Ready for Brexit posters in a bit. And now, back to John. What, what should we be looking out for then? Is I mean, obviously we're not going to get too many early indicators for another couple of weeks, but what are the constituencies we should be looking for at how things may go? Um, I read something about how London is seeming less Labour than it than it has been, or it might, you know, it might switch. Are there there things that we can already check to kind of get an indication? Yeah, I mean. So polls are, are difficult um, because, I mean, there's several different sets of, of of polling out there. There's like one set of pollsters that are coming out with quite a big Tory lead and there's another set that have them basically neck and neck. And in polling averages, you'll see those kind of averaged out. So it looks like the Tories have a reasonable lead and that may, that may not be true. Um, it may be that one of those sets of pollsters is right and one is wrong. It may be that because the way polling works, it's not just a matter of asking people who they're going to vote for it's not even just a matter of like working out what a representative sample of the electorate is and asking what they're going to vote for it's also a matter of working out who is actually going to bloody well turn out and vote on the day and that doesn't necessarily that isn't necessarily something you work out by asking people because they lie to pollsters and to themselves so one of the reasons uh, the poll was wrong in in 2017 um and i think in in the u.s presidential in 2016 is because people voted who were not expected to vote um if that happens again the polls could be wrong again um but so it's probably not worth looking at individual polls let alone individual constituencies what i think it probably is worth doing is kind of looking at how polls move because even if uh, even if they're wrong, they tend to be wrong in the same way throughout an election campaign. So if a pollster shows a Tory lead of 10% falling to a Tory lead of 2%, that probably does reflect a big drop in the Tory lead um, or a big fall in the Tories' uh, vote share, regardless of where they were before. So you can kind of get something from the movement, even if you can't get the exact numbers. Um in terms of bits of the country, like we're, I think we're probably going to hear like all sorts of bits talked up as battlegrounds, and the truth is we probably won't know till election night. Um, the Midlands will probably be quite interesting because that is a place where the Tories do seem to be sort of gaining ground and Labour losing ground over a long period. Um, but on the other hand, there are fewer seats there than there are in not London or the North. So, um, so, so you know, it, it's sort of. 
we, we there's sort of like different bits of the country and different seats sort of get like fetishized at different elections and so like all the nonsense we've heard recently about you know um old working class labor voters in the north who, who are flipping to the tories um there probably are some of those, but there are also a lot of, you know, investment bankers in Kent who are pissed off with the idea of no deal Brexit and flipping from the Tories to the Lib Dems. You know, which which of those is going to be the bigger factor? We don't know. That's it. Yeah. What's the phrase that I was here is the Workington man uh, of the, the constituency in Cumbria and what they decide. But it, it feels like you can't quite base a whole election on that one area, can you? No. And also, yeah, it's just like. There's always this sort of weird search for real people as if like, you know, one vote is worth any more than another, which of course it isn't. You know, it's like the idea that someone is more is more real or more representative because they they speak with a northern accent and their dad used to work down the mine and now they're feeling a little bit racist. That the idea that they're somehow more representative than than you know a mixed race gay woman living in Hackney is is sort of weird. You know, it's like they're just you know it's different types of people. Like I know a guy um, who who works in politics in in Birmingham who was like sending me tweets the other day saying you know you don't know what it's like out here in the real world. And it's like okay. I don't. I, I pride myself on on being an out of touch Westminster bubble type. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't want to go to the real world. The real world looks horrible. It scares me out there. <laughs> but, um, but it is not obvious to me why, like the people that this guy happens to be speaking to in Birmingham, are more representative than anyone else. I mean, they might be. It might turn out that they are. But what? What? Why should the problems in Birmingham have anything to do with the problems in Workington? You know, or Basildon, or Worcester. You know, they, it's it, 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 there is a danger of just sort of thinking the country is like London and not London, rather than kind of a patchwork of different places. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's also I, I'm a I'm, I'm a born and bred Londoner, and I'm I'm fairly sure I'm not part of the liberal elite <laughs> as much as I've tried. <laughs> and, um, you know, lots of my school friends aren't, and, and lots of people are still renting, lots of people are on benefits, and you know, so it's, it's always that weird view of London is this swanky place where everyone's uh, got loads of money, and I, I always think you're sort of ignoring a large population of the city when you do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? It's the way like liberal elite has has kind of shifted to just mean it just refers to people who are liberal these days, really. Like the like you've got you know merchant people who who made their money running merchant banks and own massive houses in the country and are cabinet ministers are going around slagging off the elites. It's like who the bloody hell do you think you are? Like <laughs> I don't yeah. understand how like these people stop thinking of themselves as the as the elite, but it just means you know liberals, really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that thing of uh, Dominic Cummings' relative owning a castle, and yet uh, he criticised the elite, and I, I still find that very hard to uh, to digest. Um, I so a couple more questions for you, and one is that I know you've said you're terrible at predictions. What are you at this stage? Uh, you said you think the Tories are still going to win, but it's likely to be a hung parliament, isn't it? Um, don't know. I don't feel. It... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so difficult to know. It, it feels unlikely to me that the Tories are going to come back for a big majority because um, they, it feels like they're going to lose seats in Scotland. They're probably going to lose seats in, in the south to the Lib Dems. Um, it is, you know, they don't have a majority to start with. That's a, that's a lot of ground they will need to make up to get a decent majority. Um, and then nine years into quite an unpopular government, you know, people are pissed off about the state of the economy and the fact that they can't get on the housing ladder and the fact that the wage hasn't gone up in three years or 10 years, you know, all this stuff. 
is obviously in the mix. And you know, this it, you know the the law of political gravity should suggest that this lot would be in trouble, but. But the poll, they are ahead in the polls. They, there are, you know, even the polls that are good for the Labour show the Tories slightly ahead. Things can shift during a campaign, but I think you know the odds have to be on on the Tories being returned in in some form. Um, it's it is unpredictable. The last tech, the last campaign was very unpredictable, and there's a lot of elements here we don't know how they're going to play out. We don't know how people are going to respond to the current situation of Brexit. We don't know what a winter election is going to do because we haven't had a winter election in 45 years and we haven't had a December one in, what is it, 96? I think the last one was 1923 um, when when things were, a little bit, things were a little bit different in 1923, obviously. Um, so we don't know how that's going to play out. Um, yeah, so it, it could go in. in I, I mean, my, my guess is the best case scenario for the left is is Labour, largest party, but not a majority. Whereas the best case scenario for the right is probably a Tory majority getting towards the 40-50, which is safe. You know, that's that's decent, but it's not a Blair landslide level. Um, so, so you know, on that on that range of probabilities, there are more good outcomes for the Tories than there are for Labour, but. Who knows? I guess it's going to also largely depend on the weather on the day, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. There's every chance oh, it's snowing is, or but... heavy rain. We're, gonna, we're only going to have about five votes put in. Yeah, and, and also like whether the uh, whether the whether the, the left remain parties get their shit together in terms of tactical voting, um, what what kind of gaffes come out and, and how people respond to them. There's all sorts of completely unknowable factors, and you know we've got weeks of this to go yet. So you know, you'd probably rather be in Boris Johnson's position than Jeremy Corbyn's right now, but doesn't doesn't mean he's going to win. Okay, so uh, one last question, which is, um, well, nearly last question, which is not election-based, sort of. Um, Lindsay Hoyle got elected as Speaker the other day, and there was a lot of hoo-ha about the next Speaker's going to be quite pivotal in Brexit talks and all this, but Lindsay Hoyle seems quite down the line. Is him being Speaker going to make any difference to how Parliament worked under Burko? Does it, does it, is it the big deal that, that, that we've been told it was going to be? I'm going to be honest about this. I'm not close enough to it to give you a very clever answer. I didn't really know who Lindsay Hoyle was before last week. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like a parliamentary reporter. I'm not like you know my, my Stephen or, or Patrick uh, Patrick McGuire who, who, who've been doing this job for a number of years where they're hanging out in Westminster all day. I'm not one of those guys. I just I just spend my day like watching Twitter and snarking. Really, um, <laughs> I think they're probably is a chance of a reversion to the meme and that Burko was a bit of an outlier as speaker in that he was quite activist in defending the interests of parliament. Um, and he was a very flamboyant character, obviously. But also he was empowered to do that by the fact that for most of his time in office since 2010, the government did not have a majority. There was just that sort of two-year period between the shock election result of 2015 and the shock election result of 2017 in which the Tories had a small majority. Um, but but most most of the last decade has been has been minority or coalition governments, and that has kind of given Parliament and therefore the Speaker more power than it normally has. So probably the type of Speaker, uh, well not the type of Speaker, how Hoyle would be remembered as Speaker, probably has as much to do with the result we get on the twelfth of December as it will do with his actual behaviour, because if it's another hung Parliament, he gets far more room for manoeuvre. Right. That was a that was a very good answer. There you go. That wasn't bad. <laughs> I'm a very clever, well-informed guy. I'm just someone who's clever and well-informed. <laughs>
by stealing it from 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 colleagues who do all the hard work while I just stare at the internet. That's the best way. Absolutely the best way. Um, brilliant. Um, well, just the last question. And thanks so much for coming back on the, uh, the podcast again. I think I last spoke to you about three years ago for this show, which is far yeah, too long ago. I mean, what did you even yeah. talk about? Was that housing? Right. Uh, yeah, it was housing. It was housing issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a building on the green belt, I think, which still, since then, just nothing's happened with housing. <laughs> really, no one's built anything. Uh, <laughs> I think at that point I was working on a, a book proposal about the housing crisis and I was talking to a number of editors about it and got quite a long way in some of those conversations, but couldn't get anyone over the line to buy it. And the last rejection from that came about three days before the Brexit referendum. Um, and I instantly was just so grateful that I hadn't just committed the next year of my life to writing a book about the housing crisis. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, no one's going to be paying any attention to this forever now. Um, so, you know, it'll work out in the end. Yes, there you go. I suppose in a, in a really depressing way. Um, yeah. Well, no, um, but thanks for coming back uh, three years later. Um, I was just going to say that apart from yourself and your articles and your new evening call newsletter that everyone should sign up to, um, who are you, who should we all follow for the election? Who do you who do you snark on Twitter? Who are you who are you stealing ide- answers from? <laughs> who should we be also stealing ideas from? Yeah, he's good. Uh, I mean, obviously, from from the new states, when I should mention Stephen Bush, Patrick Maguire, uh, Alvarez, and Anoush Shikelian, who are kind of our politics team, um, all of whom are, are fabulous people. Uh, there's my friend Marie Leconte, formerly of, of BuzzFeed, who's a very good uh, freelance journalist who's very sort of tapped into what's going on in Westminster and is very funny. There's a guy called Tom Hamilton, who is formerly uh, a Labour advisor and recently published a book on, on Prime Minister's Questions but he's like very, very funny on and quite dry about what's going on. Um, in terms of people who do sort of sketchy stuff, obviously, like everyone says Marina Hyde and she's wonderful. I love Marina Hyde. Um, but also I would give a shout out to Tom Peck of The Independent who like there is genuinely a thread he did in January where he had been sent first thing in the morning to watch a fake lorry convoy in Kent to show off preparations for no deal Brexit. And it's just so, it's one of my favorite things that anyone's ever done on Twitter. It's just so dripping with contempt. It's absolutely wonderful. So Tom is worth a follow. Um, I feel I should probably try and come up with someone from the right and I'm struggling. Um, Actually, Sam Bowman, formerly of the Adam Smith Institute, is is quite funny and, and is good at memes in a kind of, you know, free market liberalism kind of way. So if you want someone vaguely amusing from the right, maybe follow Sam as well. Thanks to John for having time to chat. You can find him on Twitter at John Elledge. That's J-O-N-N-E-L-L-E-D-G-E. You can find all his articles at the New Statesman and do sign up to his daily election rundown called Evening Call, which you can find at newstatesman.com forward slash evening hyphen call. And I'll pop a link in the pod blurb too. What else do you need to know about for this election? Are there certain policies you want to know the records of or the importance of? Or maybe you just want to know whose racism is the least bad or which party will ensure the best deal on crisps. Let me know. And you can, of course, do that at the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, the at Parpolbro Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or maybe make a video compiling various bits of this episode, but then sort of shorten them so it sounds like I'm saying something completely weird and maybe even the name of the person I want to interview and they'll ask you why on earth you did that when you could have just emailed me and you make up 400 excuses before not turning up it's probably just easier to email isn't it 
And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Cheers to your ears. And remember, if you enjoy the show, please take 32.6 seconds out of your life to spread the word about it online or IRL or in IR Unreal Life or in your dreams. Maybe spread about it in your dreams. I'm pretty sure it'll distract the whole class from you being in your pants if you tell them to tune into this podcast instead of acknowledging it. Please also donate, review, do what you do, scoobity wap and doobity do. Thanks to Acast, my brother, the last skeptic, and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when Nigel Farage has a fever and suddenly announces that Brexit Party candidates will only run in areas with his initials in and where he's driven through and where he's seen a dog and where he hasn't coughed and eventually ends up sending 283 candidates to Barrow in Furness where they all fight each other and get too injured to take part. Bye! This week's show was sponsored by Jacob Rees-Moggs et Salutum. Tips to ensure you get all clever enough for your own health and safety, including what Latin might be best to shout at a shark that's eating you to ward it off. How having six children can provide a handy barrier against any collisions with a steam train. And how mostly don't worry, as Nanny will save you. Et Salutum, found in all ancient bookshops down gaslit alleyways near you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.